0: Welcome to The Local, your daily dose of hometown news and democracy. I'm Emily Gilliland from Portland, Oregon, and it's Monday, June 21st. Today, back in the day on June 21, 1925, a team of Black baseball players beat a team of Ku Klux Klan domestic terrorists. The Wichita Monrovians, a semi-pro baseball organization made up entirely of Black athletes, bested Wichita clan Number 6, a team of white supremacists belonging to the local KKK chapter by a score of 10-8. to eight. The victory came at the height of Jim Crow apartheid in Kansas. While player names are unknown, the teams agreed to hire two Irish Catholic umpires to ensure impartial judgment for on-field calls. The umps were World War I veterans W.W. W. Garrity and Dan Dwyer. Although both white men, they were also hated by the KKK for their religious beliefs. According to the Wichita Beacon, from the date of the game, violence between the teams were explicitly banned, along with a number of bizarre weapons. The exhibition game was likely meant to be a publicity stunt, meant to increase interest for the local clan chapter, which was beginning to lose footing in the city. The Monrovians likely accepted the invitation because they were guaranteed fair payment for the game. The teams played at the city-owned Island Park Stadium located on Ackerman Island in the Arkansas River, which at the time tolerated interracial activities. Today, back in the day on June 21, 1942, the bombardment of Fort Stevens occurred at the Columbia River's Pacific entrance on the Oregon coast. The Imperial Japanese submarine I 25, commanded by Meiji Tagami, entered U.S. coastal waters by following fishing boats in the area to avoid minefields. Late that night, the submarine surfaced at the mouth of the Columbia to target Fort Stevens, which dated back to the American Civil War and held mostly outdated artillery. The submarine then opened fire on Fort Stevens, with all of its rounds landing harmlessly on a nearby baseball field. One round managed to sever several telephone cables, the only damage sustained in the attack. The I-25 then submerged, avoiding return fire after being spotted by a U.S. Air Force training mission and subsequently attacked from an A-29 bomber. There were no injuries and very little damage, but this event helped stir up the 1942 full scale West Coast invasion scare. Today we'll start with your quick six news headlines and we have an interview with Alex Zelensky, news editor of the Portland Mercury. X-Ray. And now it's time for today's Quick Six Local Rundown. Clark County has allotted $15 million to combat houselessness. The money comes from federal pandemic relief funds and will go towards various efforts, such as expanding shelters, paying for rental assistance, vouchers for hotel rooms, and hiring more staff who work in homeless assistance programs. Counselors approved the plan by a 4-0 vote Tuesday. However, the ultimate allocation of funds is not yet finalized. Based on available information, though, the number of one priority seems to be focused on expanding shelter and outreach teams. In a statement, the county's community housing and development manager said, quote, I think it's a very strong indication of where their priorities are, The very first allocation they make with these funds is towards homelessness. Clark County staff will continue to meet with organizations over the coming weeks to begin finalizing a plan. And come July, they will convene to approve budget changes. And now your daily dose of data. Over the weekend, 23,676 vaccine doses were added to the state immunization registry. As of Sunday, the seven-day average number of doses administered was 12,724 doses per day. That puts the total percentage of vaccinations for the eligible population at 67.4% in the state. And by Friday's numbers, just 51,616 more people needed to be vaccinated before the state meets its goal of 70% of eligible Oregonians vaccinated. City of Tigard has released plans for a $3.5 million public plaza. It's to be called Universal Plaza and will be located in the heart of downtown Tigard. The plans include input from 60 design advisors and follow discussions that have been ongoing over the past few months. And the overall theme of the Plaza was a shared humanity and our one shared planet. Taking up 1.8 acres on Southwest Burnham Street, Universal Plaza is expected to begin its first phase of construction this winter. This phase will feature the community's most requested amenity, an interactive water feature, and splash pad. Phase two will follow, in which the city will construct a large overhead canopy for shade in the summer and a shelter in the winter. In a a statement, Community Engagement Coordinator Lauren Scott expressed her appreciation for all those involved thus far, explaining that, quote, together, the project team and the community created a -a one-of-a-kind plaza that will be the showpiece for our revitalizing downtown. Currently, the city of Tigard is hoping to complete phase one by late summer 2022. Lawmakers have offered federal funds for I-5's expansion. The offer to assist with the controversial Rose Quarter expansion, however, comes with a caveat. The Oregon Department of Transportation would have to include freeway caps if they accept the money you're unfamiliar a freeway cap is a deck bridge built over a section of highway to create more park space or room for new construction the goal of this stipulation is to add a silver lining to the extension of the highway into the historically black albina neighborhood in a statement to the governor lawmakers explained quote this project has the potential to be truly transformational Adding multiple blocks of retail, green space, and housing to revitalize an area that has previously been defined by bottlenecked traffic. ODOT, though, is wary of dedicating too much funding to these highway caps. Estimates for the cost of covering the highway climb as high as $700 million. However, legislators contest that they can use money from the Reconnecting Communities Act to fund this effort. The act is currently being reviewed by a Senate committee, and supporters are hopeful for its future. Wildfires wreaked havoc throughout the state over the weekend. Raging in the region southeast of Mount Hood, the fire had grown to 4,300 acres by Sunday afternoon since Friday night. As of yesterday, the fire was 0% contained and contri- continuing to move southeast. But roughly, 300 firefighters spent the weekend working to establish a new control line along the northeast and southwest flanks of the fire. Officials are concerned that structures in the Pine Grove area could soon be at risk. And changing wind wind patterns could lead to additional spreading to the southwest. In response, various areas in the region have been issued evacuation orders. Separately, another fire in Klamath County had spread to almost 1,000 acres on Sunday, Officials said it threatened 125 structures and had not been contained. Folks in the area were issued a level two get set evacuation order, encouraging them to be attentive and prepared to leave if needed. Be sure to keep posted and for the latest wildfire information, head to oregon.gov. And finally, some good news. Portland's own Ryan Krauser broke the shop put world record over the weekend. The record was 31 years old, older than Krauser himself, but Krauser's latest heave pushed the record to 76 feet, 8 and a quarter inches. And with the hulking toss on the books, Krauser will now be headed to Tokyo for the next Olympic Games. As Krauser tells it, he's been dreaming of this moment ever since he was a kid. But only since 2017 did it seem like it could be a reality. Be sure to look out for him wearing red, white, and blue when he represents the U.S. in Tokyo this summer. The U.S. Track and Field Olympic Trials will continue from Eugene, Oregon through this week and complete all of the races and incredible competitions on Sunday. And that's today's Quick 6 Local Rundown. X-Ray. Up next, DJ Ambush and Morgan Jones speak with Alex Zelensky about the impending expiration of the eviction moratorium at the end of June.
1: As June comes to a close, so does Oregon's eviction moratorium. For months, Oregonians affected by COVID-19, whether it be illness, unemployment, or other factors, have been able to defer rent payments in an effort to help them save money and pay for essentials in these difficult times. But come July 1st, rent will be due again. Here with the latest on this story is Portland Mercury's news editor, Alex Zelensky. Thanks for joining us, Alex.
2: Yeah, thanks for having me.
1: So, uh, now let's set the scene a little bit. How long has the eviction moratorium been in place?
2: So, um, the eviction moratorium was initially put into place in the beginning, or the um, the end of March, beginning of April. Uh, and it's been renewed uh, last Year 2020. It's been renewed uh, several times um, and extended um, until uh, the end of this month. And so, you know, that means that for over um, for over a year, uh, tenants who've been unable to pay rent because of the financial hardships that have come with the pandemic have been able to um, to put those rent payments on hold and. Right now, um, the state legislature has allowed uh, tenants to not, um, not be required to pay back those missed rent payments until uh, February, the end of February next year. So mm-hmm. they have that amount of time to, to pay back those
1: payments. Mm-hmm. Do we have an estimate of how many Oregonians have been uh, deferring rent payments over the time period?
2: Um, I, I know that it's, uh, it, it changes, you know, because mm-hmm. a lot of people get a job or they, they feel like they're able to pay rent again and, um, and start paying. But I know that it's um, definitely in the tens of thousands, wow. uh, especially by the, you can tell by, by the requests that you've seen or we've seen for um, assistance in, in paying rent. Um, right now, there's over, uh, over 10,000 households, um, which, you know, represent um, more than 10,000 people
1: mm-hmm. who
2: have requested for rent assistance to help pay for missed rent payments.
1: Wow. Uh, situations yeah. have changed a lot for Oregonians in the past months. As schools reopen and restaurants increase dining capacity and all sorts of jobs have come back. But for those who are still not able to pay come July 1st, are they expected to be evicted right away?
2: I mean, they're expected to be evicted kind of in the normal um, standard process that it, the way that kind of evictions play out, which, you know, um, if you don't, if you don't um, pay rent within, uh, I believe it's, you know, by the, the fourth of the month, um You get a, a notice that you, you need to pay rent mm-hmm. um, and then uh, or or you need to move. and if someone does not move, then they get a or do not you know pay rent by that time. Then they get an eviction um, uh, formal eviction notice to to go to court um, to defend or uh-huh. or you know. To be mm-hmm. formally evicted by a judge, um, and so a lot of people who are familiar with this process say that kind of by you know the second or third week in July, um, that's when people who have not paid rent for July will start being actually evicted. Uh, so by the end of July, that's kind of in the process of um, people who haven't paid rent will. Uh, you know they'll, they'll get a knock in the sheriff in their
1: door. Right. So we got a text earlier today. Uh, I'm not sure if you were uh, checking us out when we were responding to a text speaking about landlord and tenant relationships. How has the moratorium changed landlord and tenant relationships?
2: Yeah. Um, well, <laughs> it hasn't been great. Mm. I mean, there are some some situations where you know people. Um, have had really understanding landlords who've been able to support them and, um, you know, empathize with their concerns during the pandemic. But a lot of what, um, you know, tenant advocacy groups are hearing from renters is is that, you know, for tenants who've been unable to pay during the pandemic, um, their relationships with their landlords have really gone downhill. Um, It seems like you know, since landlords can't demand rent right now and and can't evict someone for not paying rent, or at least you know haven't been able to for the past year, that they've turned to other ways to kind of harass or um, you know uh, take out kind of their frustrations on their tenants um, for not paying. Uh, in some ways, maybe trying to encourage those tenants to you know, to, to move out, um, on their own without having to, without, since they can't evict them. Um, in other cases, we see landlords who are, um, finding reasons to evict someone that might not be, not have been used maybe before the pandemic to, as a reason to evict, um, before, Mm -hmm. but since, uh, during the pandemic you can only, um, Evict people for cause, which means there has to be a, um, a clear like violation of a lease lease violation to, to evict someone, or they have to, you know, have committed a, a crime in the house, or kind of done something that was clearly, um, you know, grounds for termination. Not mm-hmm. just hey, I, I want this person gone, so I'm going to evict them. Um, since landlords have to have for cause to evict someone during the the pandemic, um, lawyers who represent tenants have just seen a a great number of um, evictions kind of come to court that, um, you know, that were around issues that didn't really seem, you know, worthy of evicting someone in the past. Like, for example, um, uh, someone, uh, a few folks faced evictions for for not paying their, their renter's insurance. Um, which apparently was part of the their lease, um, mm. and they also weren't able to pay rent, so it kind of makes sense that they may, might not be able to pay renters insurance. Right. Or um, I spoke to someone who, you know, just got a number of, of kind of uh, disturbance complaints um, because of. Uh, in one case, someone came really late at night, a stranger, and was banging on their front door, and their neighbor who had the same landlord complained that this person was causing a disturbance um, even though it was a complete stranger uh, who is, you know, kind of trespassing.
1: Right. And
2: so that prompted uh, uh, eviction complaint or eviction notice to that, that tenant inside. So it seems like when are just finding new ways and kind of creative ways to uh, go around the, the problems mm. or the, the restrictions that are in place right now. Mm. Um, and, and many of them are, you know, um, are also struggling with, with finances because yeah. their tenants haven't been able to pay for a long time. So,
1: right.
2: you know, it's kind of a it's a domino effect. Uh,
1: do you feel like the state of Oregon's prepared for these changes? Do they have any systems in place to assist folks who still cannot make rent payments?
2: Yeah, well, right now at the state legislature, uh, lawmakers are trying to rush through a a kind of stopgap measure that would uh, help tenants who are unable to pay starting July 1st or you know, August 1st. Um, basically, the, the federal government has, uh, you know, flagged a, a big chunk of money to go to Oregon, um, specifically for rent assistance during the pandemic, around $200 million. Um, and it, it um, is currently in possession of Oregon and of the state, but uh, still being kind of divvied up among counties. And the, the ability to, for tenants to get that rent assistance has um, proven to be pretty hard, uh, mostly because just the, um, the folks who are, who are needed, kind of the caseworkers who work for the state or who are contracted, Uh, with the county and state to work with tenants are really overloaded with people requesting need. The need is just so, so huge. The volume is is, um, so large that people are, um, uh, you know, kind of overloading the system. And so right now um, the ability to get, you know, rent assistance dollars out the door Mm. has been really slowed kind of because of the capacity of these, um, kind of go between organizations that need to uh, process the applications and kind of do all that work, um, and so that that's kind of where we are right now. It seems like there has been a ton of ton of requests for the federal funding, and it's out there and it's you know it exists, um, but getting it to the hands of the people that need it as fast as possible has been a problem. And so um, the the legislature's kind of recommendation has been okay, let's, um, let's give tenants uh, protection from eviction um, if they can prove to their landlord that they have applied for rent assistance. So obviously if they've received rent assistance, they can use that money and pay for the rent. Mm. But if they've applied and because of the you know, slowdown of the process of kind of getting that, that money through, um, it's been taking a while uh, this new bill would would protect tenants from eviction mm-hmm. um, if they can show a proof to uh, their landlord that hey you know I've applied um, I'm, I'm trying <laughs> you right. know I'm I'm not just kind of sitting around and doing nothing um, and uh, landlords landlord groups um, are, are opposed to this bill because they believe it's just kicking the can down the road, um, and it's more of the state's responsibility and their fault for not getting this money in the hands of people than um, than you know should be a burden on the landlords. Mm. But um, but yeah, it's meant to kind of act as a as a buffer to, um, to waiting until that money is um, is where it needs to be, and the state's also expecting another kind of allocation of the same amount around 200 million okay. from the federal government towards rent assistance later this year in the fall. Um, so, you know, eventually the, there's going to be um, enough money to, to support folks, whether that means just to pay for rent or to pay for missed rent that, that's, you know, that they missed during the pandemic and, um, and will all be due, you know, by the end of February. Hmm. Because for a lot of people, you know, if, even if they're able to pay rent now, maybe they got a job after they lost one, they certainly don't have the savings to pay back the missed rent that they, um, they weren't able to pay earlier.
1: Right. Alex, we just got a text uh, from one of our listeners. They said, hey, wait, non-clause evictions have been in place. and so They're still being done throughout the pandemic i was evicted two months ago actually wow
2: yeah well (laughs) that's uh that's illegal um Mm -hmm. right now no-cause evictions are not supposed to be um happening unless um yeah i mean those have essentially been Put on hold during the pandemic um or have or during the moratorium, the eviction moratorium um, right now, it's all kind of for clause or cause, or um, that th- that has been allowed. So I don't know what that person's situation is, but it sounds mm. like they have been um, illegally evicted man.
1: <sighs> Alex, thank you so yeah. much. This has been a hot topic, man. We've received a couple of texts yeah. about this, and you know. With uh, July right around the corner, I can imagine, you know, we're going to be talking about this even even much more.
2: Yeah, yeah. it's uh, the tension is kind of rising. So
1: yeah. thank you for having me. Oh, thank you. That was Alex Zelensky, news editor of the Portland Mercury. Tune in every Thursday at 845 to hear an update from the Mercury right here on X-Ray.
0: Thanks to Alex for joining The Local. And thank you for listening to The Local your hometown in just about 30 minutes. And thank you, democracy. We'll talk to you tomorrow.
1: X-ray.